Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18. We got down to verse 10, and it's a good thing we pick up the same place because the next verse, you need to contrast what you find. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Now look, verse 11. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and is an high wall in his own conceit. Where do you rather have a strong tower and run into God's uh, presence and refuge for safety or your riches? The rich man's wealth is his strong city. So I don't think that that's anything to be compared to you. In verse 12, it says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haunting, and before honor is humility. You have some very good lessons in these verses. You remember the Bible says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haunty spirit before fall. Well, here it says, uh, And before honor is humility. So if you expect to be honored in any way, you... Put yourself in the proper place. So you have pride and humility that uh, is to be considered. And then in verse 13, notice this. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it, it is folly and shame unto him. This is what we call people jumping to conclusions, isn't it? You answer a matter before you hear it. And uh, sometimes people think they have the answer to the problem and they haven't heard all the problem yet. And so listen to the whole thing. And then you may have a better uh, way to answer the matter. And it says it's folly. What does it say here? It is folly and shame unto him. When you find out later you didn't know as much about it as you thought you did. And then look at verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. Did not Paul say, when I'm weak, then I'm made strong? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthened me. So we're talking about here inward strength. Inward strength. I want to give you a reference on this one. It's uh, the book of Ephesians 3, verse, uh, let's pick up verse 16. It's in Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. And he says in verse 16, that he would grant you, so whatever is given is of grace, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, grant you what? To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, where do we need our real strength? The Bible says, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And he says that he would grant you, according to the... Uh, riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So, strengthening is one thing that we need. There are many things that are spoken of in that prayer that would be well to look to, but especially that point that ties in with our lesson in Proverbs. All right, let's get back to uh, Proverbs. Hold your place always where we're studying. And we're in the 18th chapter. And let's look at verse 15 now. It says, The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Two things here, heart and ear. First, there must be a heart for it. And then there must be an ear in order to receive it. Underline heart and ear. The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge. And why does it? And the, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. So, you have both of these things that are necessary in order to learn. If, if a man has no heart to know anything and to learn anything, he probably will not. If he doesn't have an ear to leer, listen <coughs> excuse me, to the instructions, <coughs> also he probably will not receive anything. 
So you may have a heart for it and not apply yourself with the ear. And you may have an ear for it and not have a real heart for it. So both of them are joined together. And if you have both of them, then God will increase the knowledge you need. I want you to notice verse uh, 16. It says, A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. It gets him uh, liberty to speak. It paves the way for him. In verse 17, He that is first in his own cause seemeth just. Have you ever heard that first? But his neighbor cometh and searcheth. You get the drift of that? Hasty opinions. We say, well, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just. If a man states his cause, it seems like, well, he has a just cause. But then when you begin to search it out, there's always two sides to everything, isn't it? And notice what it says. But his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. In other words, you get all the details and you find out that that which seemed just to begin with maybe was not so just at all. And so let's... Uh, uh, not form hasty opinions about things. And listen to both sides before we come to a conclusion. Look in verse 18. Seek God's leading in this verse. The lot causeth contentions to cease and parteth between the mighty. So we need to seek God's understanding. You know, the lot was the way things were determined in uh, many things in the biblical days. And it was a matter of voting in some instances or whatever various ways they used throughout the years, that they would cast lots. They'd decide which was the right course to take. And in the New Testament, when uh, it says that Judas was missing from the uh, number of the twelve, it says they cast lots, they gave forth lots, and they chose one named uh, Matthias. And so we find that uh, they voted some way or another, whatever system and form that they used to, to determine who should fill the place of Judas. But anyway, whatever we do, however we come to the conclusion, we need to seek God's leading in order to, to uh, come to the conclusion that we need. In verse 19, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. When Brother Randy was speaking about healing the wounded Christians, that go, uh, this, I studied this earlier, of course. Some of you know I studied earlier. Uh, but anyway, I was thinking about this particular verse. And I was thinking about the fact that they, they, uh, they put up stubborn defenses. They say, well, I was in a church once, but brother, they, they're set against. We had a lady, Miss uh, Julie, visited with her this morning. First time visitor. And I talked to her and invited her back to church. Real sweet lady. And I think she'll come back. Her husband moving here. They're retired. But uh, Julie said that she told her she didn't fill out a visitor's card because she didn't want people just bugging them all the time to come to church. Her husband liked to do that on his own. And I agree with that, friends. I don't want somebody parked on my church do of my doorstep all the time. And, you know, it's good to have a visit. There's nothing wrong with that. But I've seen some churches, and I'm talking about Texas, a good country. I came from there. But I'll tell you, down in some places in Fort Worth, if you get in a certain area of town, they will not leave you alone. I mean, they're there every day. And you say, well, I go to that church. And there are a lot of proselyting going on and try to yank you from one church to the other. Yours is closer than not, this one's closer than the one you go to. Or, you know, that preacher doesn't preach right. And we do. And all that kind of stuff. And it kind of makes you sick of it. And uh, I can understand a person uh, when they say, well, we'll come. But they didn't fill out a visitor's card. 
Now, others don't mind because maybe they, are not, they haven't had the same experience. And we encourage people to fill out a visitor's card. Don't misunderstand me. So we can keep in contact with them. And probably if she'd fill one out, well, she'd had a letter in the mail this week about, uh, you know, visiting us when she could. But the way my wife usually writes the letter, she'll say, we were glad to have you in our services Sunday, and we hope that you'll see fit to visit with us again. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's an invitation. There's showing of concern. But uh, there's not this business of twisting arms to say, well, you've got to be here. you just got to be here. And people get tired of that. I told Brother Wendell one day, I said, if, if a salesman wants to sell me something, the first mistake he makes is put his foot in the door and starts really coming down on me to sell me because I, I'll buy something if I want it. But if a guy's going to force me to buy it, I'm not going to buy it. So you know what approach you need to take toward me. And uh, I know there's a lot of people like that. They, they like to be treated nice and with respect and make up their own minds. You know, they've got a mind. They know what they want. They know what they need. So let them make the decision. And don't be high-pressuring people all the time. And it'll work out. People make up their own mind about joining the church, about accepting the Lord, about uh, being baptized, about uh, whatever they do in in serving God, teaching a Sunday school class. And uh, you can give the invitation the opportunity, and if the person doesn't want to do it, well, you don't want them to do it in the first place. All right, let's go back to this. It says, a brother offended is harder to be one. He will not yield. A brother offended than a strong city. He's harder to be one. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. He puts up a great defense, doesn't stubborn defenses. It doesn't mean that it justifies him in doing so. But it means that that's the effect it has sometimes when a brother is offended. And then verse 20. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Your words will catch up with you, won't they? A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Look at verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. It covers uh, good or bad, good fruit and bad fruit, and you'll eat the fruit of it as you speak it out. Now, here's the best of God's blessings. Look at this, verse 22. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. You know, I studied this out too, and it's, it means a good wife, not just a wife. It says, whoso findeth a wife. I mean, there's a lot of guys find a wife, right? But whoso findeth really a good wife, a wife that is to be respected, a wife that is good for him, findeth a good thing. And obtain a favor of the Lord. And so this is the best of God's blessings when it is, meets that standard. And then in verse 23, it says, The poor useth entreaties, but the rich answereth roughly or harshly. What do the poor do? Useth entreaties. Paul was not poor in some respects. He was rich in the things of God. But Paul was a tent maker, if you'll remember. But he said, I beseech you. I beseech you by the mercies of God. He was not always coming down. You know, the law says, I command you. Grace says, I beseech you. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And then he gives you a greater uh, incentive to live for God than any other way, than the commandments. What does he say? 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's Romans 12, verse 1. And if you look back at the mercies of God beginning in chapter 1, 2, 3, right on through 12, you'll see that this beseeching has a great deal of influence, does it? And you go study those things. There are uh, three therefores that are very important. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That one looks back to the first four chapters of Romans. Romans 5.1. And then Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And that looks back to the previous eight chapters. And then Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. That looks back to the whole twelve chapters of Romans. And this gives us a great incentive to uh, live the right kind of life. The poor useth entreaties, but the rich answereth roughly. Now look at this one. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Have you ever seen a person that was unfriendly that had friends? Not very many. So if you're going to have friends, a real friend and a friend worth a name will stick with you through thick and thin. And a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. You ever heard people say, well, I don't have any friends. Well, there's a question mark in my mind. Do you want to be a friend? Or how do you treat people? And you see, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And it says this, and I love the last one. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Sometimes friends are fair weather friends. When things are going well, they'll stick with you. But when the, they'll be with you. But when things are going bad, well, where are they to be found? But there is a friend that sticketh closer than the brother. And you know they. That one we sing, we have a friend in Jesus. And that's the one that is closer to us than a brother. I want you to look at chapter 19 of Proverbs. And in this chapter we have, uh, we might use a title for it, Developing Proper Attitudes Toward Life. Developing Proper Attitudes Toward Life. And the first five verses toward our business life. And then verses 6 through 12 toward government. You might want these divisions later on. If you do, you can have them. I'll have them for you. And then verses 13 through 16, toward family. And then developing proper attitudes is continued uh, in verse 17 and 18, toward the poor. And then verses 19 through 29, the rest of the chapter, toward our habits. I'll give you those again in case some of you are writing them down. The whole title for the chapter, Developing Proper Attitudes Toward Life. And this is a very important chapter, by the way. Verses 1 through 5, toward business. Verses 6 through 12, toward government. Verses 13 through 16, toward family. Verses 17 and 18, toward the poor. And the last one, verses 19 through 29, toward our habits. So we have to have a proper attitude toward our habits as well. So let's take it verse by verse and see if these things are not borne out as we study uh, chapter 19. Verse 1, it says, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Here you have a poor man, an honest man. And this is rather than a rich man and dishonest man. I'd rather be poor and honest than rich and dishonest. You know, I'm the kind of person that I have to sleep with myself. I have to know when I go to bed that everything's right. And I have to confess all my shortcomings of the day. Do you do that? At night before you go to bed, say, Lord, you know I made a big mistake there. Or, you know, that didn't turn out as good as I would like for it done. Maybe someone else was offended by this or that. And, and make it all right. That's that daily cleansing, daily confession of our sins to God. And when you 
Ask God to wipe the slate clean, to cover over all the mistakes you've made, to forgive all the sins that you've committed, and all the shortcomings that you have. Then when you lie down and get ready to go to sleep, you can go to sleep with a clear conscience, with a heart that is open to go to sleep meditating upon the Word of God. The Bible says that, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate, what? Day and night. You know, there's not very many times that during the day or night that I don't try to get Scripture back on my mind. See, the Word of God is a light. The, the Bible says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If it serves that kind of light, we ought to be constantly trying to light the lamp along the way, shouldn't we? And that way we'll have the right kind of guidance along the way. So we need light. We need enlightenment from God's Word. So, then the next verse says, Also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth, being too hasty to do things. To be without knowledge is not good. And verse 3 is connected with this, so let's read it and then we'll comment. It says, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Notice verse 2, he hasteth with his feet. And in verse 3, he fretteth against the Lord. And sometimes we want to blame God for what we bring on ourselves. You see, all of this indicates that he hasteth with his feet, he sinneth, he perverteth his way, verse 3, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. He kind of blames God for it. You, you know, sometimes we not only blame God for things that we do, that we bring on ourselves, we bring the devil. We blame him. Have you ever seen people blame the devil for everything that comes along? Well, now I know the devil's evil and the devil's wicked, but sometimes we just do things ourselves that we ought not to do. From the fleshly standpoint, we get ourselves in messes that we shouldn't get into. We say, the devil made me new. No, you. it says what? Every man sins when he is drawn away of the devil's... No, every man sins when he's drawn away of his own lust. Right? Of his own. You know, I don't like the devil any more than you do, but I don't blame him for everything that comes along. Because sometimes I realize I've caused a lot of my own problems. And if we'll realize that, uh, that he's evil and wicked and, and resist the devil and he will flee from you, resist him steadfast in the faith, but on the other hand, we've got the world and the flesh and the devil to fight. Not just the devil, we've got the world to fight and the flesh to fight and the devil. The three great enemies of our soul we have to fight. I'm thinking of Ezekiel. 14. Look at Ezekiel 14. Let's see. We're talking about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? Look in verse 14. By the way, that's easy to remember. That's why I guess it punched the right button up my computer here. Ezekiel 14, 14. Look at verse 14. Though these three men, which said the world, the flesh, and the devil, didn't they? Okay? It says, though these three men, Noah, why did God choose these three men? There are a lot of examples in the Old Testament. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. And it's repeated on Dan, down in verse 20. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. In other words, they had to fight against some things. Noah was victor over... A sinful world. That's the world. Daniel over the flesh. Remember what Daniel said? He said, I will not defile myself with the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. And Job overcame whom? The devil. Noah, Daniel, and Job. 
And he says, though these three men, they would deliver their own souls by their righteousness. And in verse 20, it says, neither son nor daughter. So it shows that every man is responsible for his battle against the world and the flesh and the devil. And so let's don't blame one enemy of the soul for some that the other is causing. That's why I said don't blame the devil for the things that the flesh causes or that the world causes. Now, we know he's, a, he's behind all evil, but he, he also is a personal uh, adversary. As well. And the Bible says, Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And then it tells us what to do. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. That's the way you resist the devil. It's steadfast in the faith. So be grounded in the faith, and you can handle Satan's attacks. And back in Proverbs 19 now. In verse 3, we were talking about people that blame God for everything. It says, the foolishness of a man, verse 3, perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. In verse 4, wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. Many friends. Wealth maketh many friends. We call these fair weather friends, don't we? This is like the prodigal son. When he was in the far country, it says he wasted all his substance with riotous living. And if, if he had riotous living, I can't imagine... Him being all by himself, because it takes people to have that kind of a life. And I'm sure he had many people that wanted to help him spend his money. And in fact, the older brother said he's wasted his uh, money on harlots. And we don't know the whole story of the prodigal son, but we do know that he spent it all. And afterward, he was begging down in the hog pens, and he would have filled his himself with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave him to him. His fair-weather friends were gone. Look. In verse 4, wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. Verse 5, a false witness shall not be unpunished. Here's perjury. And he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Sometimes you say, well, they get by with it. Not always. You've heard that old little thing we say that the chickens come home to roost. And sometimes it, the Bible puts it this way. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And it's going to come back sometime or other. It's going to come back. In verse uh, 6, it says, and by the way, verses 6 now, we have an attitude toward government. What do we think of our government and leaders and, and uh, rulers and how we are to respond to them? Verses 6 through 12. And some of the verses are more direct to the th- main thought that I've given you than others. But it says in verse uh, 6, many will entreat the favor of the prince. We want the one that's in rule, in power. We want his favor. And, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Sometimes there's corruption in government, isn't there? There's bribery. It says, All the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. In Romans chapter 13, we're told that the powers that be are ordained of God, and that they're ministers of God to thee for good. And that he beareth not the sword in vain. And we're taught as Christians to obey the laws of our land and to honor our law enforcement men. And it says they're ministers of God to thee for good. And I, I could go over and expound the whole of the 13th chapter of Romans. But I just wanted to point out that though they're ministers of God and the powers that be are ordained of God, it doesn't mean that everyone that serves is a Christian. It means that the order of discipline and of government and of law is of God. You may have good Christian policemen. You may have some that are, that are not. You may have some that are good and some that are bad. But the office that they fill is to be respected. And that's taught in Romans chapter 13. Let's notice verse 8. 
He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. So we need to get wisdom and we need to guard it like a precious treasure. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. Verse 9. It says, A false witness shall not go unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. And you could compare that with verse 5 that we talked about. Now then, verse 10. Delight is not seemly for a fool. Delight has the connotation of luxury. In other words, a fool to be, live in luxury. Delight is not seeming for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Do you ever see the servant that rules the princes? See, that's, that's not acceptable either, is it? The prince rules the servants. And then in verse uh, 11, it says, The discretion discretion of a man deferreth his anger, or the prudence of a man, the good sense of a man deferreth his anger. If a man can use good sense, he can defer anger. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Do we always point out all the sins and all the transgressions of everyone that we know? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't preach against sin as preachers. But it means we don't have to go around and pick everyone apart and say, well, I know. I'm going to question, is that a sin or not? Or did you do this or that? Do we cover over in the sense of forgiveness and, and trying to pray for the brother that sinned? It says, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Verse 12, the king's wrath is as a roaring lion, but his favor is as the dew upon the grass. The king has power to judge or he has power to pardon. His favor is the dew upon the grass. Verse Verses 13 through 16, we find toward family, how we're to act toward family. Look in verse 13. A foolish son is, is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are, as, are a continual dropping. I don't know. I'm supposed to preach the word, aren't I? Should I expound this verse? I think I will anyway. But... Uh, there is an Arab proverb, and let me give you what it says. T-A-K, N-A-K, and B-A-K. Tack, knack, back. It's an Arab proverb, and, and the, those words have meaning. And it means T-A-K is the leaking through of rain. That's the continual dropping. And the N-A-K is a wife's nagging. And the B-A-K means bugs. So the leaking through of the w- rain, the water, and the nagging wife... And bugs in the house make a house unbearable. If you have all of these things, it's pretty hard to live in that kind of a house. You say, I got the roof leaking and there's rain falling on. Have you ever been in the, I was in an old farmhouse and put a, a tin roof on it. And some way or another, I don't know, when I put the ridge roll on, something was wrong and the, it, it leaked. It leaked. And anyway, it leaked on the floor over here, on the corner of the bed over here. And on the little table over here or wherever, you know. And that was irritating. Can you imagine at the same time having a nagging wife and then turn around and have bugs in the house? So they had a good proverb there, didn't they? So it says, A foolish son is calamity to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. And thank God that we have some wives that are not this way. They are sweet to us and they care about us. When I got home today, my wife had... In spite of the fact she was sick, she had lunch cooked for me. She had those baked potatoes that she baked twice, not just once. You know how that goes. I'd rather have them, as Brother Nichols said when we came in, I'd rather have them twice baked than half baked. But anyway, we had those kind of potatoes. I love them. She'd fix those for me. And, you know, with the onions and cheese and stuff. And 
Well, anyway, she had that and about 40 or 50 pieces of uh, correspondence done. I mean, letters stacked in three stacks over in my study that she'd taken care of. And just because she's not here doesn't mean she's not working. I'll guarantee you that. But anyway, what I'm saying is our wives are a great deal of support to us, aren't they? They are our helpmeet, as the Bible says. And it says, houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers. Look at this. Houses and riches, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, here's where you get to the kind of wife you need. A prudent wife is from the Lord. In verse 15, it says, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and... An idle soul shall suffer hunger. Sloth. It hinders inward and outward progress. It it hinders all kinds of progress. 26 verse 14. And I won't turn to it, but it says, As a door turneth on his hinges, so the slothful turneth upon his bed. As a door turns, you know how a door turns on the hinges? You just turn it. So the slothful on his bed. This applies to David. You remember when he became slothful or lazy? Remember David in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11? It says at the times that the kings went forth to battle, what? David tarried still at Jerusalem. And during the night, it says he rose from his bed. He couldn't sleep. Why? His job was out there. At the time that the kings went forth to battle, he should have been out there. But he tarried still at Jerusalem. He said, I'm just going to lay back and rest a while. I don't have to go out there and fight. I'll let the others do the fight. Anytime the Christian gets out of the warfare, he's going to be in trouble. Anytime you become lazy, you're going to be in trouble. And I don't care at what age, I'm talking about young or old, you don't become slothful because it's going to have its, its uh, repercussions in your life. And so that was the beginning of David's downfall. He became restless. He was dissatisfied. And then he looked and he saw and he lusted and he took and he sinned against God and he sinned against man. And as a result, the death of a child and as a result, the death of the man that was uh, the husband of this of Bathsheba, and as a result, the sword, as Nathan said, shall not depart from thine house. Even though God had forgiven him, and he did, he began to reap this bitter harvest of sin. I, I call it the high cost of sinning. You say, as a Christian, you know, I'm, I'm under the blood of Christ. Yes, you are. The penalty of your sins covered. But let me tell you something. If you go out here and you start sinning, and you backslide, you get away from God, every one of those sins are going to have a payday in some way or another in this life. They're going to have a payday. It's coming. And then at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to have to give an account of our life, the Bible says, as Christians, right? We're not going to be judged as whether we're going to make heaven or hell. In fact, that judgment seat of Christ means we made heaven. But we are going to be judged as to what kind of life we've lived, and our works are going to be judged, our fellowship with one another, and you've heard me say, our whole life as a Christian. So life is more serious than many people take it. it. Everything is not to be just laughed off. Brother Randy and I know some that in the midst of tragedy and problems and, and uh, all circumstances, they just laugh things off. Well, laughter is good, but you don't laugh at something that's real that you've got to deal with. You face it. You face it. And so anyway, slothfulness... Casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Okay, let's get this. Verse 16. He that keepeth the commandments shall keepeth his own soul, but he that despiseth his ways shall die. Verse 17 and 18 show us uh, our attitude. In other words, developing proper attitudes is the theme. Toward the poor here. He that hath pity on the poor, upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given, given will he pay him again. Look. He that, he that hath pity on the poor 
It's the same thing as if you're lending to the Lord, and that which He hath given, whatever you've given, will He pay Him again. The Lord will pay you not only the principal, but He'll pay you the interest. You've never done anything out of a good heart and a loving heart in having pity upon the poor that God hasn't paid you back the principal plus the interest. I found it to be true. He'll give you what you gave and He'll give you interest along with it. You know, God is a good paymaster. You don't, you don't work for the Lord in vain. He's going to reward. Brother uh, Nichols was reading one morning here about the rewards for the preacher. In fact, I think he read it last week and uh, that God would reward us for serving. But the thing about it is, God is a good paymaster. Remember when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt? And I mean, they were uh, their taskmasters were hard upon them. They made them make brick without straw. But when God delivered them out of Egypt, they took all the wealth of Egypt with them. They took the gold and the silver and everything. God paid them off for those years of labor. It says, go and borrow of the Egyptians. And it, it was God's plan that they get their pay. They'd worked a long time and they hadn't been paid. He says, well, these guys you've worked for, you're going to get paid. They're going to pay up. See, God has a way of balancing the scale. Someone says, well, they barred, they shouldn't have borrowed all that from the Egyptians and then took off. God was telling them to do that because it was their due for what they had done. And there was nothing unjust about it. Okay? In verse 18 it says, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. In other words, children need to be corrected when they do wrong. And they don't need to be mistreated. They do not need to be abused. And any man or woman that would abuse a smaller one than themselves is a bully. But anyone that will, any father or mother that will diligently, in love, correct that child is a loving father or mother. Now then, look at the next verse. It says in verse 19, A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. You have to... Do the same thing over and over. Verses 19 now through 29, I want us to see what we do, how we have the proper attitudes according to our habits, toward our habits. How do we form proper habits? In verse 20 it says, Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in in thy latter end. Wisdom has a long-term investment. And how do you get it? Hear and receive it. Verse 21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. A man can have all kinds of ideas. Remember, we come up with theories and ideas and and programs and this and that and the other. And sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not so good. But it says here, nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. So we have something to, to hinge on to, don't we? Look in verse 22. Here's good intentions. The desire of a man is his kindness. And a poor man is better than a liar. Good intentions, the desire of a man. In verse 23, here's godliness satisfies. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. The fear of the Lord means godliness, doesn't it? It means reverence for God. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. God is going to take care of him. Look at verse 24. A slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. He's so lazy... He's not helpless. Slothful, he's lazy. And he's so lazy that he won't even feed himself. See, look. A slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. There's a word dish that's uh, involved in this chapter. In other words, he has the food before him. And he sticks his hand in the bosom. 
and he won't even eat what is before him. He's so lazy, it says slothful. It doesn't say helpless man. Now, we have up in the care center people that cannot feed themselves. That's a different story altogether. And they need to be taken care of. They're helpless. But the slothful, man, they ought to take care of themselves. The fellow ought to figure out how to use that fork and spoon and feed, him, feed, feed himself, shouldn't he? Instead of just being lazy. Now, there's no excuse for laziness. There is an excuse when people cannot do physically the things they need to do with their members of their body, their hands and, and their fingers and their arms and so on. And they need to be cared for. But if a man is just deliberately lazy and says, I'm not going to do it, well, just let the guy, you know, if, if you let him alone long enough, he'll get hungry enough, he might take his hand out of his bosom and go ahead and eat. Right? They say when they get hungry enough, they probably will. In verse uh, 25, it says, Smite a scorner and the simple... Uh, and the simple will beware and reprove one that hath understanding and he will understand uh, knowledge. But what do you do? Smite a scorner and the simple will beware and reprove one that hath understanding and he will understand uh, knowledge. In other words, he must be startled. The simple, the scorner, must be startled into attention. You've heard this saying that you have to get their attention first. And sometimes you have to get folks' attention before that they will listen and so that's what it's talking about as far as the scorner is concerned. Look at verse 26. He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causes shame and bringeth reproach. This is an unnatural son. In verse 27, look at this verse. Very important. We have only three verses to go. Look in verse 27. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err, err from the words of knowledge. You know what this is? This is trifling with the truth. I think you need to look at that verse. Look at it clearly. What does it say? Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. Don't pay any attention to those things that would pervert the truth. If they cause you to err from the words of knowledge, cease to hear them. Don't give any ear to them. Don't listen to them. You've heard me say before that uh, Paul told Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall de depart from the faith. Now listen. Giving heed, paying attention, listening to, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And I said that the way that, you, that these cults get, uh, get you off is they get your attention. What does this say? Look at that verse. Let it sink deep into your heart and mind. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causes to err from the words of knowledge. Some people say, well, it doesn't hurt me to listen to them. Well, I, I beg to differ from that. If they, can get, if they can get your attention close enough and they can persuade you because of uh, persuasive words, they may convince you that that lie is the truth. Did you know some people can convince you that a lie is the truth? And cults have a knack for doing that? That's why you need to know what God's Word says and take your stand on that Whatever happens, say, God's Word doesn't teach that, and I'm not going to believe that. You say, preacher, that's narrow-minded. No, that's taking your stand upon your convictions, and it's doing what this verse says. Cease, my son, to hear the instructions. Cease to hear. Do not listen to this. Instructions that cause, cause, cause us to err from the words of knowledge. And then verse 28, and we'll close in 29, it says, and. An ungodly witness scorneth judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity. Here's a craving for what is tainted. An ungodly witness scorneth judgment, the mouth of the wicked devoureth. What? 
devoureth iniquity. There's some people that crave the wrong thing. Crave the wrong food. They crave the wrong drink. They crave the wrong thing spiritually. And then in verse 29, judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. When all the warnings fail, this is what has to happen. When all these things we've studied, developing the attitudes toward our habits of life, the last thing that God says, judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. It's going to happen sooner or later that we're going to have to meet with God, God's contention about the matter. Well, we thank you for your patience and kind attention. The Lord willing, we'll pick up in chapter 20 in our Sunday evening, ser- I mean our Wednesday evening service this Wednesday. The 20th chapter of Proverbs. Be here. Don't miss it. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention.